0: Hello, friends, and welcome to part two of my conversation with Mikey Schaefer. If you missed part one, you can find that in episode 18. It's not totally necessary to listen to that before this, but I would definitely recommend it. Some great stories in that one. In part two, we talked about Moonlight Buttress and why rock climbs are a finite resource that we should be respectful of and what we can do about it as stewards. We talked about footwear and how Mikey thinks about which climbing shoes to bring on big wall projects. We talked about the fix and follow system Mikey has been using for many years and why he and his partners no longer top rope belay on multi-pitch ascents. That part was totally fascinating and I think a lot of you will get a lot out of it. We talked about some of the other tricks and efficiencies Mikey has played with to streamline Alpine and Big Wall Ascents, and Mikey shared his perspective on COVID as well as what he feels most grateful for right now. And that's it. Thank you all for listening. Hope you guys like this one and tune in for another full-length episode next week. Please enjoy this delightfully geeky part two of my conversation with Mikey Schaefer. Class, class. no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we
1: do it, like we do it,
0: like we do it. Well, Mikey, I would love to jump back to Moonlight Buttress because, as you just mentioned, we did run into each other. Was this the beginning of March?
1: Yes, that was the first uh, ten days of March. It Was right uh, as COVID was happening. If you remember, totally. like was... we had that dinner together, yeah. and we all kind of joked that it was just like. Well, when we leave here, it's all changing.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, right. that, was, That's that right. was the
1: last dinner party I've had, was with <laughs> was with you back in Utah. <laughs> I totally. mean, literally, because SJ and I drove away from there, and it was kind of we were like, leaving our little bubble. And it was just like, okay, here we go. Social distancing starts now. So, uh-huh. yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple things I want to touch on. So, it was interesting to see that, or to hear that um, you actually... You ended up red pointing it. You were kind of working on it with SJ and you had done it before. And so now you've red pointed moonlight buttress in every decade of your climbing life. Is that correct?
1: Well, no, because you started as a teenager. I I didn't do it as a teenager. Okay. So in your,
0: in your twenties, thirties and forties,
1: twenties, thirties and forties, I've done it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's so awesome. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So I think the first time, so I actually tried it. I don't know if we got to talk about this before. I tried it in, I believe, 2002, for the first time. Okay. Yeah, long long time ago now. Um, Sounds like it was a
0: lot harder back then.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting experience, and I was obviously I was a different climber back then as far as how I approach things. But yeah, I, I went up there with uh, my buddy Trevor, and uh, I climbed up to the crux, and fell off the kind of layback dihedral, mm-hmm. and was like, "Oh, okay, I guess that's it." And I downed and we repelled. Didn't huh. even take it to the top. One okay. fall, and I was just like, oh, okay, I didn't do it. And, uh, yeah, which is so interesting to think. I would probably never have that sort of approach these days, you know, but that was just, like, a sort of different time. I, I had a little bit more of that, like, old school, like, you know, you try it once sort of mentality. Like, you either, you know, flash it, on-site it, or, like, whatever, you know? Like, it eh, didn't really matter. So I was kind of like, well, I fell, I got to come back and just be stronger.
0: <laughs> and Interesting. Uh,
1: Yeah. So I went back then in 2006, I think. And then I did it no falls. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then I, yeah, did it again in my thirties. SJ and I went out there for her birthday and no falls ascent. And then I did it. Yeah. Just last month so yeah I'm, I'm actually it's it's cool like it's pretty cool to be like i've still got it yeah <laughs>
0: yeah totally <laughs> like
1: and it's actually totally gotten easier uh yeah the rock has
0: actually changed shape that wasn't just like a, a throwaway comment oh, like God, it actually no, no it actually no. has changed
1: no i've, I've got pictures of when i did in 2006 and i just i can just look at the crack and you're like what gear is in you know hmm. and i was like oh i had I had three purple TCUs and, like, five blue TCUs or something back then. Mm -hmm. And then when I did it this time, I think I placed one. Well, now it's like it was a red C3. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, like, the smallest piece I placed. You know, and I used to have five of those plus three smaller ones. So, (sighs) yeah, without a doubt, the route is, like, getting... Way easier, which is totally unfortunate, and it's actually pretty sad to see. and I almost feel bad up there, like, doing it again, because it's a little bit like, ah, I've gotten my turn. Mm. I should probably not oh. climb on it anymore, because I am just wearing it away even more, and, like... I don't know, I'm not sure it's totally responsible, you know um
0: well, I think yeah. you're I think the amount of wear and tear from you just walking up and kind of firing it off is is pretty minimal in the big scheme of things. I don't think you should yeah. worry too much about that
1: Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but it was but, you know
0: yeah. go ahead,
1: the reality is we are all impacting it, you know mm. i mean and as climbing grows, I think being like very aware of the actual impact you're having, even uh-huh. if it is like that tiny tiny amount but like dying of a thousand cuts it's like we're doing it we are killing crags with thousands of little cuts i mean you go Hmm. to indian creek and you just like look at these things and you're just like whoa no way like that thing is a different climb now like it's wearing Hmm. out like you know we're wearing out rock climbs like Hmm. crazy right so i mean Yeah, sure. I mean, you could look at me like doing another lap on Moonlight and being like, yeah, I didn't fall. I wasn't really like whipping on the gear. But it's also like I was still another lap on it. And Mm -hmm. every single lap we do, we're like, we're wearing, you know, we're wearing it out. We're like blowing out the crack where the edge is coming off. Like we're putting scrapes on the wall. And, you know, so I think at least being aware of that as climbers, that it is like, hey, we are all actually contributing this. Each ascent is changing the route. It's just such a slow... We don't see that change, you know, each climb, but but obviously the rate of change is pretty drastic right now in climbing. Hmm. So, I don't know. I, I think as I've gotten older, I've just become so much more aware of that as things change and that we we do have an impact. Hmm. And trying to be aware of that, of like, oh, do I need to do that thing? Is it important, or am I just like, you know, wearing it out? And hmm. I don't know. It's funny. I, 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 Paul, who climbs at Smith, a friend of ours, you know, he'd always joke. He's like, What, well, you're going to do that thing. You're just wearing out your shoes. He's like, why are you doing that thing? You're literally just wearing out your shoes. And uh, I often, I do use his line a lot now, you know, when it's just like, oh, should I do that thing? I'm like, you know what? I'm probably just, I'm just wearing out my shoes.
0: That's funny. There's a lot of irony in that coming from him.
1: Yeah. who He does a lot of pitches, but
0: yeah. Every day
1: anyway sorry that was a total sidetrack and that's I great think that's what you were no, trying thanks. to get at thanks for sharing that about moonlight but i i do actually feel uh, sort of strongly as as far as like no actually we do have impactors climbers each of us is the thousand little cuts right like mm. and there's way more people right now and so mm-hmm. we all sort of need to be a little bit more aware of that and just being like yeah, I know we're good about not throwing our jacket on the bush at the crag or we're not, you know, where we put our packs down at the crag, but like, you really have to think about that stuff now, Hmm. you know, like we have to be hyper aware. I mean, there's just so many more of us and I don't think people are there yet. I don't think people are hyper aware of like the impacts that we're having on our sport because it's like each of us, it is such a small impact, but man, as a whole, that's just not true anymore you know, Hmm. like that is just not true. So I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying to spread out my impact or like being a little bit at least more conscious of it, of like, what am I doing? And how is that impacting? And then, you know, how can I give back? How can I offset that, you know? Hmm. And and I, I definitely try more as a climber now than I ever have to offset my impacts. You know, and I, th- I think it's something that we we all need to sort of start addressing. We're past that point where we just get a take, you know, where it's hmm. just a free for all, and we just get to do whatever we want at the crag, and and that's I think that's hard for people to swallow right now, where we've been so unregulated for so long, where our impact was so minimal and so slow that it just didn't really matter. But I don't know, we've hit a breaking point, and. People don't want to realize that people don't want to change their habits because it's the way it's been, you know? Hmm. And I think for older climbers that have been around a long time, it's even harder because it's, you know, they look at be like, Oh, back then I never had to worry about that stuff. So I'm not going to change now, but you know, I think that's just, you know, unfortunately changing, but it also means there's more climbers out there, which is a good thing. You know, I want more people to climb. So it's hard for me to like get too bummed you know about certain aspects because i i do know it means there's just more climbers and i think overall that's a positive for this world and it's just keeping our our sort of impacts more in check is is kind of kind of important so and a funny segue from moonlight but i do actually think it's an important thing to like think about and, and talk about and maybe something that we don't address as much as we should as as climbers right now and um yeah, I don't know. That's that's my yeah, my little, like, advocate rant there. Today. I love it. I seem, I, I seem to be making a lot these days. Um, <laughs> that's
0: cool, man. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. No, that's a really great perspective. That's super important. But, yes, yeah, no you're, you are correct. I do want to bounce back to Moonlight. It was really fun bumping into you up there. We actually hadn't made plans to meet up there, and we just ran into each other on the wall, which was super fun. And I've known you for quite some time, and we've climbed together at Smith, but it was the first time I've really seen you in your element in that way. And there was just so many takeaways for me. I mean, from the way you guys fix ropes to anchor systems to everything. But then, you know, you already mentioned this. We ended up having dinner together, and uh, I think we had, like, an hour conversation about footwear, and I found it fascinating. If you wouldn't mind, I would love to hear how you think about sizing and how you think about footwear and some of your strategies for footwear on something like moonlight buttress.
1: Yeah. Um, I have a ridiculously large bag of climbing shoes. I bet I have more pairs of TC pros than any climber. That's not sponsored by La Sportiva. Like, I mean, it is dumb. Like, I mean, there's a 40 liter duffel bag, with TC Pros in it, oh my god! Um, and just sportivas in general. Like uh-huh. I mean, it's like I'm a bit of a footwear uh, freak, and mm-hmm. I, I I sort of believe in the like choosing the right tool for the job, hmm. right? I mean, I don't I don't take you know a 20 pound sledgehammer to hang a picture on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Also, like I'm not gonna take that little rubber mallet, you know, to go split wood. Right. I mean, I sort of think footwear is actually pretty similar. Like I generally speaking, I choose the shoe that I can get away with.
0: Hmm. Right.
1: So what's the least amount of shoe that I can get away with to still climb this thing where it's not going to like adversely affect my performance. So I'm the sort of guy that shows up at the crag with four pairs of shoes if I'm sport climbing and I will wear all four pairs of shoes. As I progress through the day, like I'll show up and I'll be climbing in my, you know, 37 and a half TC Pros. They've been resold three times and I've got my my big socks on, you know, and I'll do, I'll do my warm ups in it because it's just like, well, I don't want to wear out my better shoes. Shoes are expensive and I, I don't get them for free. I've, I've never gotten them for free. So, you know, and I think maybe that's part of it. It's like I climb as, you know, much as most sponsored climbers and go through just as much footwear but i've (laughs) I've never really gotten them for free so um (laughs) you know so you know and then as i move on to like okay well then there's my like you know advanced warm-up and then i i put on my like what used to be my send shoes that have been resold twice you know and then i'm like okay i'm gonna actually get on the project but i'm not taking send burns and then I'll, i'll like climb in the pair that have been resold once and then if it's like oh now i'm taking send burns then i actually bust out my fresh pair Mm-hmm. So, and I, I sort of apply that sort of scale even to say something like you know moonlight, where it's like I'm like okay, well, what can I get away with? You know, what pair of shoes will I still be able to climb it that are going to be comfortable, but where I'm not just wearing my shoes out, my good pair. I'm sure when we showed up to Zion, I had probably three or four different pairs of size thirty sevens. Oh like wow! Like just this, just the same size, <laughs> and you know, and, and like one pair was new, uh, one pair was broken in. One pair had probably only been resold once, and there were actually those are sometimes the best where they they've been resold, but I didn't break them down too much on their first sole.
0: Hmm. And
1: once they get that that fresh sole, they're like they're excellent. And then you know I've probably got my pair that's like you know a pair of junkers that have just been resold that are so blown out, and like I actually have. I believe I have my first pair of TC Pros and they're still in rotation. Um, wow. They've changed them a little bit so you can tell the Rands used to have uh, dots in them, like holes in the side of the Rands. Okay. And I think that was only the first season that they had those. And I actually, last night, I was I was going through some shoes and I, I came across those. So I was like, well, maybe I'll <laughs> maybe, maybe throw these things in the bag. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not cheap. I think I'm frugal, but I also care for my feet. Like, I, I'm not one to jam my feet in tight shoes if I don't need to, hmm. right? So I'm always a little bit like, okay, part of that's what can I get away with? It's, you know, the cost thing. It's like, I don't want to wear my Sen shoes up there and wear them out because I'm just going to buy a new pair when it really matters. Uh-huh. But I'm also like, well, what's the least amount of damage can I do to my feet? I, I think long-term use of really tight climbing shoes has to have an adverse effect on your feet. Hmm. And then there's also just like the comfort thing. It's like, okay, well, if your feet are comfortable, like, are you going to perform better? Whereas opposed to having a tight shoe where by the end of the climb, your feet are so uncomfortable, you're not going to be able to like stand on your feet as well. Hmm. Right. So sort of like balancing that of like, okay, well, you know, what's that sweet spot of like, I'm going to be able to wear these all day yet still perform in them is you know and sometimes that does lead to bringing multiple pairs of shoes mm-hmm. you know even on a route like moonlight like that's not unrealistic you know is to like you know be like yeah we've got our pair for the crocs and we've kind of got our pair for the filler climbing hmm. um you know and that's i mean i would say that's pretty normal for me and maybe even three pairs on on some things. You know, I'd have a pair for the 510 and the 511 climbing. I would have a pair for the 512 climbing and then there would be a pair, you know, for the 513 climbing.
0: Interesting. Sort of and, yeah. Huh. Uh,
1: yeah, and I mean none of this would probably matter if I was just stronger. You know, like <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: like I wouldn't have to bring higher performance shoes if I was just stronger. Right. Um but You know, you can also just be smarter. And I think, you know, that that's one of those things. that just is like, okay, well, I got to be smarter about it. You know, I got to like stack the deck as much as I can in my favor, you know, and if that means like bringing three pairs of shoes for like a 10 pitch route. Okay. Mm-hmm. so that's what that means you know like i'm just I, i'm not strong enough i got to do it this way you know or the other side though is yeah you can look at that and say i'm just going to be smarter about it um, and the coolest
0: thing is that we can try to do both right
1: yeah no exactly yeah 100 percent and you know so it's actually interesting i was talking to tommy caldwell about this once he has one pair
0: no like, kidding
1: he's a one-size tc pro climber and i was dumbfounded yeah that's I shocking Oh my God. And I, then I dawned on me. I was like, Oh, right. You're so much stronger than me. You know, I was like, it doesn't matter as much. You know, I was like, that was, that was literally my conclusion. I was just like, Oh, right. Tommy can just wear one pair. And is it that,
0: or is it maybe that he just like wears his most downsize that he can possibly stand all the time. And he's just like totally gotten used to it.
1: I don't know. I think, I think he wears them pretty tight, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting though. Yeah, you know? totally. I was just sort of like, huh, okay. Interesting, you know? And yeah, but I, I think maybe now he's got another size, but I know okay. for the longest, longest time, he was like a one size. It didn't matter what he was doing. He had wow. to a pair of TC pros. And I mean, I, I've got my smallest are 35 and a halves and my biggest are 38s. Wow. So I, I, I'm a two and a half. Yeah. I've got every size in that, in that range of shoes so and i mean i might like my my 35 and a halfs, 36s are a couple years old and they're in great shape i just only wear them occasionally you know Mm -hmm. i only i'm like okay i need them for this one route and i you know i put them on for one route so got it yeah So I'm not, you know, how that directly applies to Moonlight, I'm not totally sure. But yeah, I mean, I I, I was very specific in the footwear I chose, you know. And when I was up there, I was like, well, it's not that important that I send. Like, I want a comfortable shoe. I want a shoe that's been climbed in a fair bit because it's a crack climb. So I want it to be a little softer. I want the edges to be rounded off because they're going to work better, you know, like smearing on on definitely on sandstone, you don't want a hard, hard edge on your shoe. You want something that's definitely climbed in a lot, mm-hmm. and, you know? So, I mean, I was going through all my different pairs, you know, she's like, okay, which one's about perfect right now. And I ended up going with a pair that's like almost blown out. that was on a couple of re
0: Okay. <laughs> Interesting. And what, what size was it? Do you remember? Roughly.
1: That, oh, that's a, that's a 37. Yeah. For
0: that's sure. a 37. Okay. So kind yeah. of right in the middle.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of my average sort of like cruising shoe.
0: Gotcha. One thing I was shocked about is that it's not uncommon on something like that where you will put your shoes on and you will wear them all day and never take them off. And there was a couple of things that went along with that. I'd love to hear about that and about the compression socks and how you think about yeah, that.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately that's kind of true for me. Like I learned early on when I was like big wall climbing, my feet swell a lot. Um, mm. my feet swell and I've got really bad skin. I've like got the bottoms of my feet. Um, huh. Like actually like I've got a problem like I can't walk around barefooted I took me years to like be able to wear flip-flops like my feet Whoa. break out I've got these like red dots on them occasionally they start to crack and peel and I'm not really sure I need to see a dermatologist but it's really impacted what well, used to impact my climbing a lot more. I remember when I was younger uh, like early trips to up to Squamish and my feet would get hot and they'd swell
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: couldn't wear my climbing shoes anymore. And I couldn't Hmm. even, I I literally was just like, I got to go down. I can't climb anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was such a thing for me. It was just like, I would would get shut down all the time because my feet hurt. And so I think that's maybe what has led me to like trying to always find the most comfortable shoe for what I'm doing. You know, what can I get away with? And so I wear socks a lot. I mean, I'm totally that dude at the Sport Crag who's like warming up in TC pros with socks on, like, I'm sure, um, I'm sure it's like, you know, the serious sport climbers come by and they're just like, Oh God, who's this dude? You know, like Gumby, you know, and you're like, yep, that's me. Like, you know, totally wool socks and, you know, high top TC pros. Um, but I think it's just trying to conserve like kind of my feet. And, uh, so one of the things I've done and I do often is I, I wear compression socks hmm. And I think on big walls, it's really helpful. I mean, you're not moving your legs around a lot. You're hanging your harness. So if you're somebody that's got some, you know, swelling problems, it really makes sense to try to keep the swelling down is, is compression socks. And for me, it's hugely beneficial. You know, I mean, my that's feet, fascinating. they don't, they don't hurt as much. And, you know, it's a little bit of a different feel for sure. Like if you're not used to climbing in socks, it's, it, you're going to be like, this sucks, but it's like anything. you got to practice it. You get used to it. Hmm. And I always tell people, you know, like, well, when you go to the crag, do your warm-ups in socks. So hmm. when you go alpine climbing or you go multi-pitch climbing, like, it doesn't feel weird. you got to practice it, you know? I mean, I-, I go as far as, I mean, I wear my approach shoes on warm-ups all the time. If Hmm. there's a warm-up, if I can top rope in my approach shoes, I'll be like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll huck a lap on that 5.11 in my approach shoes. Because then when I'm, like, on, like, going into the mountains or something like that, and I'm putting mountain boots on, it's not just, like, it's not totally different, right? It's not just being, like, going from rock shoes to, like, mountain boots and being expecting to be able to climb 5.10 in mountain boots, right? So it's, like, I try to, like, I mean, I I wear my approach shoes a fair bit while climbing, actually. And I think it's always been really good practice. You know, it makes you... You know, you actually learn how to use your feet a little differently, like how you smear on things. You can't just get away with edging on everything. And and so the amount of pressure you have to apply to the footholds to make them stick, it really gives you a sort of different sense of what you can get away with. Hmm. I mean, honestly, I, I think it's probably something that would benefit a lot of climbers is to climb in shittier shoes. Climbing shoes that you can't rely on the shoes as much, where you have to start relying on your balance and your technique more, as opposed to like, you know, just staying on that edge. I mean, shoes are so good these days, you know, definitely like a high performance pair. It's like you can get away with just, you can edge on anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but do you need to? You know, I mean, I, I think from a training standpoint and like a technique building standpoint, I think it, it would make sense to actually like, don't rely on that and practice with, you know, a pretty crappy pair of shoes. So when you do put those like hot rods on, you're like, Oh yeah, now, I'm <laughs> now I'm ready. You know, like now I can sort of stand on anything. Yeah. So yeah, no, I definitely tinker with my, you know, my footwear and uh, things like that. But I know I, I think it's interesting. It's actually, okay. You saw the footwear aspect of it, but I approach a lot of climbing like that. I mean, hmm. I'm definitely a tinkerer, you know, if it's Mm -hmm. in systems and climbing, if it's like, I I think I'm constantly trying to find like, what's the most efficient way to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, Always, you know, like, I mean, I think generally it's easier to climb smarter than it is to get stronger, right? Like it sort of takes less effort, you -hmm. know, to just be like, okay, well, how can I make my rack smaller? How can I get away with less gear? How can I make my pack smaller when you're alpine climbing? Like... If you Want to talk about some you know dorkiness? It's like you know, I mean, for sure, you're like got the gram scale out and you're rating, you know, writing the weight of your jackets on the tags. Like, that's <laughs> that's not like in my circle of friends, that's like baseline nerdiness, you know? Like,
0: <laughs> oh, I for love sure. that. That's amazing. Oh, I mean,
1: I, you know, we're like, <laughs> that ain't nothing. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you know, it's like before going on like an alpine climbing trip with Josh, I mean, it, uh-huh. if there's like. I couldn't tell you how many emails back and forth about, you know, the weight of the tent versus, you know, I I literally had a spreadsheet of like the weight of the tent versus the, what is the floor volume? So how many square feet is it versus the overall weight and what's that ratio? Wow.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, we're talking. And that sleeping pads, it's, you know, you know, that's like the rope. Okay. You know, we've been climbing on these, these 8.6 millimeter ropes that have, I believe have like a, like a 46% sheath percentage ratio, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, well that's probably the lightest rope we can get with the highest amount of sheath. Which makes sense when you're alpine climbing, just because you, you, you kind of chop ropes. There's a lot of abrasion with ropes up there. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I really do. I mean, I kind of approach it all like that, you know? Um, I mean, I, I've had so many spreadsheets of, like, you know, what's the overall weight of my rack? You know, my, what's the weight of my harness? And, like, how can I make all that stuff lighter? And, like, it's just it's sort of an easier way to perform better you know yeah. like it's just like okay well what can i do here that is actually like the least amount of effort in a way right like and if that just getting smarter is that learning more about the equipment or systems or you know efficiencies and uh, oh man I, I, it's like yeah there's so many good examples i remember taking um blade devices and And I've actually done this a couple of times in like guide mode, right? So which is a pretty standard way to belay up the second on multi-pitch climbs, right? Mm -hmm. Is like putting on guide mode and finding out what belay device, carabiner, and rope combo has the least amount of force required (laughs) to pull the rope through the belay device. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we spent a day like getting all these different sort of devices and beaners and ropes we had. And we literally like we had this like little dynamometer thing to like measure force. And then, so you would start pulling on the rope and then you would see when the rope would start moving through the the device. So Uh what sort of force was required to actually belay? And that seems like most people would be like, well, that is such a minor thing. And you're like, well, you know what? Like you're pulling 3000 feet of rope through a device in a single day. Yeah. That's like, if you can save one pound of effort, every single pull,
0: was it that significant?
1: I mean, I don't, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, yeah, yeah. but oh yeah, no, know you definitely saw like pretty drastic differences in the amount of force in certain combos. If it's a depending if it's a round stock carabiner versus an beam <laughs> construction carabiner versus a, you know a Petzl device versus a BD device, then a, a Beal rope versus an Edelweiss rope. I mean, oh all those, I mean, essentially what I just named are very different. It's like, you know, where the Edelweiss rope is going to have more, generally speaking, they're stiffer ropes. A BL rope is super soft. You know, a round stock carabiner is way better. Previously, when we tested, the BD Black Diamond ATC Guide had took less force than the Petzl Reverso. I mean, yeah, for sure. Total dork. I mean, you know, it, it, but... It, it, Is this something I could
0: share? Is this like a spreadsheet that I could share in the show notes? Oh,
1: they've people? all they've all kind of come and gone over the years. I'm bad. I'm bad at keeping them, but
0: uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I love this so much.
1: Yeah, and it's also like you know you looked how we how we were like climbing. You know we we do the fix and follow thing now, right? Like, right.
0: We don't. That was uh, fascinating you know, to me.
1: Friends don't let friends belay.
0: Yeah, friends don't let friends belay. I was like, what are you talking? Dude, about? Dude, that's so 2010. Like, oh my
1: god. <laughs> I don't actually. Esther and I, we don't climb with people that want a belay, <laughs> want multi-pitch climbing. Literally, we're just like, yeah, no,
0: we're. Okay, cool. so we have to break that down. So, what does that actually look like when you're climbing?
1: So, yeah, the the fix and follow is is kind of the slang I use for it. It's um, so you you're out multi-pitch climbing and you you know you lead a pitch as the leader and then you just you fix the rope, you tie it into the anchor and then the the second your partner just follows on fixed line self belay so generally like mini tractions mm-hmm. we say mini tractioning, even though we actually use a camp lift and a, a micro traction but uh, just generally it's like oh yeah you're gonna go micro tractioning or something mm-hmm. right so yeah it's a bit of an odd system and it's something that is catching on for sure but um and some people still kind of think we're crazy <laughs> it's Uh, Yeah, Josh Wharton is the one who I I really think he's the one that kind of was just like, hey, we should try this. Hmm. And I forget what the first route we did it on was. But I mean, to me, it was like, instantly obvious. Hmm. I was like, oh, this is the way this is what you do. Like, that's it. And I, I mean, I think... We've been doing that for six, seven years now, at least, or something like that. Like, unless it's a weird traversing pitch or something like that, like, no way, you don't, you don't get a belay as the second anymore. And I mean (laughs) here, okay. So people would be like, why? Like, that's so weird. Okay. Well, in that system, what happens is as the leader, you just fix the rope. Well, you never have to pick up, pull up all the extra rope.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. So. Again, that's just energy savings. I mean, say you just led like a really long pitch. There's a ton of rope drag. I mean, pulling the rope through a device and through all of that, like that's sort of hard work. I mean, you know, if you have to do it a ton of times, say you want to go do a 20 pitch route in a day. I mean, just pulling like 2000 feet of rope through a blade device, you're going to get pumped. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if you're going to get pumped, that means it, it's doing something right. That's taking away energy that you can be using towards climbing. So there's just that, like the energy output is so much lower. So when you
0: finally pull the rope up, I mean, you still have to do that, but it's not running through all the gear and all that sort of stuff. No,
1: no, no, no. You only pull up the amount of rope you need for the next pitch. So when, when, when your partner finishes the pitch, they get to the anchor, they take their micro traction off, they flip it upside down, clip it back onto the anchor. And so now it's holding the weight of the rope. Okay. And you put, you put your grigri on in between the micro traction and where it was just fixed.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then the leaders on belay again. Right. And then they just pull, pull a few feet of rope out. Oh my gosh. Right. So they're only pulling out the amount you need to belay with. Yeah. So there's no wasted energy. So say, say it was like a, you know, the leader just leads a 50 foot pitch, the old method, that means that leader had to pull up a hundred feet of Hundred fifty feet of extra rope. Mm-hmm. No, you don't have to pull up any rope. Rope just gets fixed. The belayer takes off the micro traction. It just dangles. We're good to go. Man. So you never ever pull up extra rope.
0: Have you ever had the dangle rope get caught?
1: Nah. I mean, if it's really really windy, maybe you'll manage it a little bit. Okay. But honestly, like, there's no knot in the end. Yeah. So it shouldn't get that caught. You know, I mean, it's just like a rope pulling a rope straight up a wall. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so totally. <laughs> yeah, so so okay. So yeah, you're not pulling up the rope as much. You're also then as the, as the leader, you actually get a real break, mm-hmm. right? You got to just relax. And we lead in blocks. I mean, always that's like, again, that's like mandatory. Like you, you don't swap lead. That's like the nineties. Like if you're swapping leads, like you got to reinvestigate your system. Like you're doing something wrong. Like that is not the most efficient way to climb. Like, again, like it's either you set like a pitch count. It's like, okay, I'm going to lead four pitches. You're going to lead four pitches. Or it's like, I'm going to lead for four hours and then you're going to lead for four hours. Hmm. Like that's that's normal, right? For sure. Like, and that's generally a super good system. So as the as the leader, after you led the pitch, you just get a chill. You're just sitting there. You're eating your food. You're relaxing. You're actually resting, you're resting your brain, you're resting your muscles, you can be in a comfortable position, and it it really makes a difference. So then when you get ready to go, you feel like you just were actually rested because if you're belaying a pitch and it's like say a, a, you know, a, a moderate pitch and, and your follower's trying to follow really fast, I mean you're spending all that time stacking the rope and belaying and you don't get to relax, you don't get to look up at the next pitch, you don't get to like really just like take the time to prep. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge advantage, having that free time. One of the other advantages is if you're doing a climb where you're just taking a single rope and you don't want to be hauling on a second line, after you fix the rope and the, the second is getting ready to climb, they can hang a light pack on the rope because hmm. the rope's fixed. And then they can climb just like normal. They can mini traction with the weight of the rope below them. Oh, my And then gosh. when they finish the they finish the pitch and they just haul the rope up. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like, I mean, I hang my approach shoes. I hang all the extra rack <laughs> uh-huh. for sure. Like if it's a, if it's a really hard pitch, I'll take everything off my harness. Yeah. Right. I will like literally like, I mean, extra as the second, my blade, my blade device. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You carry nothing. Yeah. Cause it's all just hanging on the rope. At the end of the pitch, you haul it up. Got it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's like just the efficiency of it is, is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's like occasionally, you know, you go back to belaying some pitch. Cause it just makes sense. And you're just like, you're like, oh my God, really? Like, I can't believe this is what we used to do. Like, this seems so old school. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Like some of the people I've done it with, uh, I-, I was on a trip with Steve House, you know, arguably like one of the greatest American alpine climbers of all time, you know, and we do it now together. And he was like, He's like, you know what? If we had this system on Nanga Parbat, he's like, I think we might have made it able to make it to the top.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: He was that adamant. Yeah. He was yeah. Like, this is amazing. Like this has changed the game. I mean, you can imagine an altitude just pulling up the rope. You're like,
0: oh my gosh, Oh,
1: this is so much work. Especially if you've got a climber that's like, say on a, you know, 60 degree snowfield or 70 degree snowfield and they're just, you know, pretty fast pace. I mean, belaying Hmm. is so much, so much work. And as opposed to just being like, oh, nope, don't have to belay right now. Hmm. So... I mean, I could go on. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm obviously a, a huge advocate. Um, but, you know, it, it is for sure an advanced system. I mean, there are negatives to it. Um, mm. You know, uh, and I mean, you can. there's articles online now and, you know, numerous threads on Mountain Project about it all. But um, overall, I, I think for the higher end climber, I, I think it's for sure worth investigating. Maybe it doesn't make sense for sort of beginners and like more intermediate things, but, um, it definitely has its
0: you know, purpose. Well, that is fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I love Sorry,
1: it. dorkiness again. I love dorkiness it. alert there. No yeah.
0: apologizing for dorkiness. That's what we're all about over here at The Nugget. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. well, I've taken up a lot of your time. I totally appreciate it. But yeah, there's just a couple of things I'd love to get into before we wrap up. I know times are tough right now. I would love to ask, though, and maybe it's especially important right now with everything going on. Is there something that you have been feeling especially grateful for lately?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel feel grateful that I'm, like, in a secure financial situation. Hmm. I feel very, very fortunate, you know, that, like, that I'm not that stressed about, you know... I mean, I'm stressed about work, for sure. Like, I mean, my work's canceled. Like, I have no idea when I'm going back to work at all. Like, you know, I mean, I mostly travel international for work, in production world, like that's done, you know, like that is so shut down. And, but I feel fortunate that I've been successful in my career and, you know, I've kind of had good advisors, I guess. And, uh, and I've sort of planned for this, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and part of it's just saying the line of work I've been in for a long time, it's always a little feast or famine. You never know when the next meal's coming in production world. Like you just, you never really know. And so you sort of have to be you have to be ready for that, you know, being prepared. And, and I, I, yeah, I feel fortunate that I really got that advice and I figured that out. And I think part of that's due maybe towards from climbing, you know, Hmm. I, I lived in my car for 12 years, you know, I was a, I was like on the road, living cheap, you know, like working for six months and then traveling for six months. and, And I think it also just sort of taught me like what I need and how to be frugal, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not cheap and I think nobody would ever call me cheap, but I'm definitely frugal, you mm-hmm. know? And I, mean, I think I, I learned a lot of that through all my years of being on the road and traveling and, and how to get by with just the amount I need and not more. And I think in times like that, that's pretty helpful, right? Knowing, knowing what you really need to be happy it's a lot less than most people realize, hmm. you know? I think a lot of people are freaked out because it's like, I don't have this, I don't have that. It's all changed, you know? Oh, I have to sit inside, like... And it's just like, to me, I'm like, yeah, so what? Like, we we have so much. We're I mean, even as you know living in the united states i mean we we've been hit super hard by covid and don't get me wrong i mean the deaths you know it's like we're up to close to 60,000 deaths i mean that is like absolutely tragic and like that's more than a stat like each one of those deaths is a person and a family member to somebody and like that part of it is so true but you know i hear about these people complaining that they have to like stay inside and i'm like what hmm. like you're literally like that is no big deal like that is just not a big deal. Like it's simple. That's like the simplest thing we can do right now. And uh, I have no problem with it at all. It's Mm -hmm. funny. Like I am, I'm just like, Oh, okay. This is for the greater good people. Like I want to get, I don't want to get other people sick. I'm not even that worried about myself, but I'd feel awful about getting somebody sick, you know, that's older and has complications and and I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a, a family story, but um my grandfather was actually held captive for a little over a year. Wow um, back no kidding. in back in Iran. Yeah, he was one of the Iran hostages uh, back in 79 and 80. Oh wow. And he, you know, he was he was held captive. He was held against his will for over a year of his life. It was actually the year I was born. And I was talking to my grandma who, she's still alive. My grandfather's passed, but I was talking to him and she got all fired up about people complaining about being stuck inside. Hmm. And she's just like, they have no idea. They have no idea what it really means to be stuck inside. Hmm. Like we're doing this for the greater good. You know, she was like, my husband was held against his will in a four by four cell for days, for days, you know, couldn't talk to anybody. She's like that, that's hard. You know, like what we're doing right now. This isn't hard. This is easy. You know, it's like she's like we get to order food. We get takeout. We get to like turn on Netflix. Hmm. You know, we get a we get a FaceTime with our relatives, right? And it was it was a good reminder of that perspective. And I mean, it's something like I mean, I think I have. I mean, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather growing up, and so I I know that story extremely well. And uh, and so anybody that complains about this right now, I I have very little patience. For people like that, you know, I'm just like, oh, we didn't, we don't get to go rock climbing. You know, we don't get to go recreating. Oh, I don't get to go have dinner with friends. I'm just like, it's it's such a small time. To me, it's such a small thing to give up. And for, you know, to hopefully, you know, impact other people and keep other people safe. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm grateful that I don't have to go to work, you know, that I have a savings account that I planned for, you know. I, I was prepared and, and all, I guess, the life experience I've had have sort of, you know, allowed me to be pretty comfortable in a situation like this. That I'm just like, oh, yep. Don't get to go climbing. It's it's no different than being stuck in a tent for 20 days alpine climbing.
0: Hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. you're
1: just in base camp, just being like, cool, it's snowing again. Nothing to do. Okay. That's fine. You know, it's <laughs> just not that... I don't know. It's just not that big of a deal to me. So, so, yeah. I feel grateful that I'm, like, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. And I'm not worried about, like, losing my house. I'm not losing about getting my car repossessed. I can go buy food. I can, you know, those things, to me, it's like... Yeah. I mean, those are simple things, but I I am grateful because I know there's a lot of people right now that are struggling with much harder decisions, you know, Mm. like, oh my gosh, like I can't buy food for my three kids. I can't, you know, I can't afford rent. Like there's a lot of people that are in that situation right now. And, uh, it feels like it's hard not to feel bad for them. And so, yeah, I feel grateful that, that I am where I'm at financially and just in life, you know, or it's not, not so bad on me.
0: With all that, is there something that you're most excited to do when quarantine ends? And it could be climbing-related or totally other.
1: Yeah, what am I most excited to do? Um, man, I don't, I don't know if I have anything like that. You okay. know, I mean, maybe this is back to like how I kind of roll. You know, it's just like, you know, when the variables change, I'm gonna readjust my plan. I'm gonna make a goal. I'm gonna like. You know, I'm gonna see what the state of things are, and, and then I'm gonna figure it out. But right now, I'm just like, well, this is how it is. I don't know. I don't know what. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You know, after all of this, and like, what do I get to do next? And uh, you know, I mean, I look at just, hey, I, I get to be home a lot. I'm I'm here with my girlfriend. This is like the most am- amount of time I'm I've probably ever got to spend consistently with Sj. <laughs> How about that? I mean, that's like the flip side of it all, right? Like, I don't have to go to work. <laughs> I can't go to work. I get to stay at home. Uh-huh. You know, it's great. It's awesome. Like that is, that's an upside, you know? So, so what am I looking forward to? I don't know. It's, it's also like, I'm not, I'm not bummed about my current situation. So it's a little bit like, I don't know if I like the excitement of what's to come, isn't that great because it's a little bit like, I'm fine with where I'm at, you know, if that, make, if that makes sense.
0: That totally does. And I think that's a great thing to leave people with. Mikey, thank you so much. And thanks for being so generous with your time. This has been so much fun and fascinating. (laughs) Just from hearing your stories to insights and, you know, all the geeky stuff. I just totally love it. So I really appreciate it. When I was talking to you before this, you did say, you know, I was just asking you if there was anything that really stood out to you in your own climbing. And I'm going to read a quote from you. And you did say, you know, I do think something I'm generally proud of is that I've spent a lot of time at a somewhat high level in most disciplines of the sport. That is something that is sort of fading away these days. And it goes back to that jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none thing. And I think anyone that thinks of you and their climbing, and, and certainly this is the case for me, I think that's, that really is your career. Like when I think of Mikey Schaefer, my brain bounces from Patagonia to Yosemite to Liberty Bell to watching you climb Scarface to hearing about these V10s you did in Bishop. And um, it's awesome, man. And I really have always respected that about you. So I'm excited to see what's next.
1: Yeah. Well, well thanks, Steven. Yeah. No, that that does mean a lot, and it is something I'm I'm I'm, I'm proud of. Yeah. I, I, so yeah, I'm gonna hopefully keep doing it. I'm gonna keep moving that spiral up, and I'm gonna keep making the base base bigger. And uh, keep
0: building that pyramid.
1: Building the pyramid. I'm not really. Sure for what? But uh, I guarantee you I'm gonna find the next thing that I'm going to get psyched on, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. Hell yeah. Thanks, Steve. Well, in the meantime, stay safe, be healthy, and I look forward to talking to you soon.
1: Okay, you too, man. Take care. All right.
0: Thanks again, Mikey. Bye. it up. Stop
1: the you the you can freak out.
0: Shine when the light grows dim. See one, one, two, three, three, four. Cus, Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can
1: do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.